right, who's ready to start the rally? Who's excited for science? All right. Our, our first speaker is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Yeah, yeah. Pramila Jayapal is the first Indian American woman in the U.S. House of Representatives. She is committed to ensuring that every resident of the district has economic opportunity, fairness and equity, and safe and healthy communities. She is proud of the district's role in leading the country on issues like the minimum wage, racial equity and innovation, and will work to support that work and lift up as a model for the rest of the country. Her focus is on ensuring income equality, access to education, expanding Social Security and Medicare, protecting our environment for the next generation, and ensuring immigrant, civil, and human rights for all. Please welcome Congresswoman Jayapal. Hello, Seattle. Good morning. Now, some people might say, oh, it's raining and we don't have as big crowds, but we in Seattle say, rain is good for our planet. <laughs> it is so great to be with you today, and I want to say thank you so much to all the organizers for putting this together, to all of you for braving the weather and coming out, and to say that I am so proud to represent a community that is at the forefront the forefront of science, innovation, climate protection, and making sure that we have climate justice as we move forward. So thank you, Seattle, for that. We have in the 7th Congressional District thousands of researchers and students at our universities and colleges, our cancer research centers in South Lake Union, our oceanographers on the shores of the Puget Sound, our biomedical laboratories that are finding new cures. We truly are on the cutting edge. From human genome research to changing the world, that's changing the world to defibrillators, to the cardiac lab at the UW Heart uh, Cardiac Center at the UW, which is actually pioneering transcatheter aortic valve replacement procedures, to the tests for breast cancer that were created right here in Seattle. Seattle is on the forefront. And I am here because I firmly believe that science is the vehicle towards wisdom. It helps us move forward on our collective welfare. It isn't just something that's out there and research is good. No, science is what actually allows us to all be better off. And so it's about our human health. It's about our clean air. It's about our clean water. It's about cures for illness. It's about human health and healing. And so we're gonna continue to advance that no matter what here in the seventh district, but I won't lie to you. This is a grim time for science in our country, and it's not just Donald Trump and his cabinet. It is all the Republicans that are continuing to move forward that agenda, who are not speaking out and, in fact, doing everything they can to implement an agenda that benefits only the largest corporations and the wealthiest, like they did with their tax cut, the GOP tax scam, and it's at the cost of our planet and our children. And I know that there are organizers out here like Jamie Margolin that's organizing the march for young people and climate change because this is their future. 
And so we are going to fight back against the lies that they're telling. Let's start with climate change. The president and many in the Republican Party say that it's a hoax. Trump withdrew our country from the Paris Climate Accords. The Department of Interior removed climate change from its strategic plan. They revoked President Obama's clean power plan, exposing our cities to millions stronger air pollution and threatening over 20 million people who suffer from asthma. And just this month, they revoked President Obama's stronger vehicle emission standard. And there is no words for that other than they are living in a different reality. The Paris Accords are meant to stop global temperatures from rising more than two degrees Celsius, but to get anywhere near that goal, we have to start working on that right now. And let's talk about the EPA just for a minute, because I've always believed we should call the EPA the Agency for Clean Health, Clean Water, and Human Health. That is really what it is. That's what is protecting it. It's the work of the agency that affects every single thing that allows us to live healthy lives. And that's why my Democratic colleagues and I have signed a letter saying that it's way past time to boot Pruitt. Scott Pruitt is a corrupt, greedy, egomaniacal cabinet secretary who's causing incredible damage just because he wants to benefit his industry lobby at friends. But there are specific things that he's done, too many to call out, but let me just name a few. He's green-lighted the pesticide that the EPA had previously found to cause neurological harm to our babies. Why? To benefit Dow Chemical. He has overturned Obama-era regulations that required mining companies to provide remediation and clean up the communities that they ravage. Who benefits? The mining companies that would have had to pay about $7.1 billion for that remediation. And just yesterday, the Republican Senate confirmed a man who used to be the lobbyist for the biggest coal mining company as the number two person at the EPA. And it's not just enough for the Republicans to undermine regulations. They're attacking the very scientific process that's at the core of science. So just last month, Polluting Pruitt decided that he alone would decide what is and isn't acceptable science for the EPA to use when developing policies that affect your health and environment. Literally, he said that he would no longer allow the agency to use studies that include non-public scientific data to develop rules. Well, so much of making that connection between air pollution and what causes air pollution is because we use the data of millions of people that don't want that to be public. And he's now said that unless that's all made public, he won't rely on that information. And let's be clear that while the Republican agenda includes undermining real science, it also includes using fake science to enact their broader agenda. So for example, the Trump administration got rid of the Affordable Care Act's mandate to make sure that birth control is covered by insurance, and they claim that access actually harms women's health more than it hurts, relying on ridiculous studies that actually don't show that at all. 
So the reality is we know that research is absolutely essential to public health, and that's why we Democrats are insisting that we use that research to, to really show that gun violence, what we've always known, gun violence is a public health issue. That's why we need to make sure we use that research and we enact a ban on assault rifles, a ban on high capacity magazines, and that we follow the lead of the Parkland students around the country. And we have to make sure that we challenge Ryan Zinke as he slashes our public lands and privatizes our national monuments. Let's be really clear that that GOP tax scam that you've heard me talk about over and over again, and today there's a tax march this afternoon, that scam also included a, uh, an opening up of the drilling in the Arctic refuge, which is sacred to indigenous people and species. And our coastal plains are being sold off to oil companies to be drilled and fracked. So, is everyone completely depressed by all of that that's happening? Okay, it's really clear that we are out here because we are a minority party and we do have to be an opposition party. But it is also clear that as vigorous as our opposition is, we have to be a proposition party. And we have to actually propose the vision of what we believe in. And so that's why I, along with my Democratic colleagues and Senator Merkley in the Senate, have introduced the 100 by 50 bill, 100% renewable energy by 2050. Let's keep our fossil fuels in the ground. And that's why, along with my colleagues Don McEachin and Nanette Berrigan, we started a new United for Climate Justice task force. And that's why we've introduced the College for All bill in the House so we can make sure that our students can actually go and get affordable college. And that's why we have a South Asian Heart Health Awareness Act to actually address cardiac issues within the South Asian community. And that's why we're making sure, and you're gonna meet one of our real champions of every single one of these issues in just a minute. That's why we're making sure we have equal pay for equal work and that women get paid for their work in science and that we encourage that. And that's why we're fighting for immigration reform because guess what? Some of our greatest scientists in this country were immigrants who came here and contributed those skills to who we are. And so I wanna take just one minute before I get to my introduction of my very, very special guest and a champion for the United States and for progressive values. I want to take a minute to say that while we hear a lot about white male scientists, how many of you know about Mamie Phillips Clark, the first black woman to earn a doctoral degree from Columbia University, whose work on psychological research into racial biases was vital to the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education decision? How many of you recognize every day the work of Katherine Johnson, one of the human computers at NASA who was featured in Hidden, Hidden Figures? Or Jane Cook Wright, a black woman who was one of the first doctors to work with cancer-fighting compounds that led to the current treatment for breast and skin cancers? These are important figures as in a proud immigrant myself who came here at 16 with nothing in my pocket to now be the first Indian American woman in the U.S. House of Representatives is 
a responsibility to make sure that just as I had shoulders to stand on, that we are creating those ladders for every girl and boy, every brown, black, and white kid in this country, every person who is struggling out of poverty or in the middle class, to be able to be anything they want to be in this country. That is critically important to our science. And so now, it is truly an honor to introduce to you a woman who is a Shiro. She was the first woman to ever be Speaker of the U.S. House. She has been a champion for science and research and education long before it was politically fashionable, and she left an indelible mark on the budgets that Congress passed that contained unprecedented increases for science. And just last year, she negotiated the deal that lifted the spending caps that actually allowed for us to increase science spending research at the NIH and the CDC. And she has been a champion for women and those who need to be represented most. She is a proud mom, a proud grandmother, a crusader for our planet, and for our future, and it is a true honor to serve with her in the United States House of Representatives. Please give a warm Seattle welcome to Leader Nancy Pelosi. Good morning, Seattle. Let us all join together and recognize the extraordinary leadership and the magnificent statement of values of your Congresswoman, Pamela Diopal. She has been, as you can see from her litany of concerns, and they're all connected, they're about respect for people, for the environment, and the rest, that she has an impatience about her that is going to fight to shorten the distance between what we know is inevitable and what they think is inconceivable let us salute that impatience, that brilliance of Pamela Jayapal. Thank you. It's my honor to be with you this morning. I thank you for having the courage and the stamina to be out on this rainy morning and want you to know how important your presence is and the presence of many people across the country. Because internally, we can fight these fights inside maneuvering, but without the outside mobilization, we cannot succeed to the extent that we must for our children. Now, isn't that what this is all about? Science is about the future. When people ask me what are the challenges facing the Congress, the most important issues facing the Congress, I always say the same thing. Our children, our children, our children, our children. And what is the answer? What is the answer to a better future for our children, our children, our children, our children? Science, 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 and science. Science to clean the air, the air they breathe, the water they drink. Science to invest in their education and the uh, well-being, economic well-being of their families. Science to have them be in a world at peace where they can thrive and reach their fulfillment. Science in every way to make the future better. Now we have some concerns 
about where certain people in Washington, D.C. are on science. It seems ironic to me that in the Science and Technology Committee, on the wall in that committee, my friends, is this sign. It's a, a quote from Tennyson, for Tennyson. Tennyson's one of my favorite poets, and I do believe that the arts are a place where we can share our enthusiasm for ideas. And here's what he said. Here's what Tennyson said. Now, this is on the wall of the Science and Technology Committee. For I dipped into the future, far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and all the wonder that would be. Science. And yet, in the committee, the majority leadership in the committee is unscience. They're in denial about climate, they're in denial about the impact of policies on our children, their brains, and their future. They're in denial about what the possibilities are. They're even in denial in the value of education and saying that public education, public education teaches critical thinking and we can't have that. Can you believe that the problem is that fundamental? with some in the Congress. But we hope to make, return this to a time when science is bipartisan, that, that we have budgets that invest in science for the future. And I am hopeful that that will happen. But it cannot happen without you. I always quote Lincoln. Lincoln said, Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost anything. Without it, practically nothing. But in order for public sentiment to prevail, the public must know what is at stake. And your mobilization, your marching, with every step you take, it's about cleaner air, fresher water, good, clean, safe food for our children. It's about keeping America number one in terms of our investments in science and, and technology and the rest. It's about keeping the world at peace by scientifically understanding what other possibilities are and, if necessary, to have the strength uh, to protect and defend not only our freedom, but freedom throughout the world. So, and this is, you know, some people in Congress have said, you have to choose between science and religion. We don't think you have to do that. We think that science is an answer to our prayers. We think science is an answer to our prayers. So we don't have to choose between faith and science. And what's so special about today is so many children will be participating. How is it that kindergarten children children have more wisdom about the world than some policymakers in Washington, D.C. I like to tell the story about a little boy in first grade. The teacher says to him, what is one and one? He says, two. What is two and two? Four. Teacher says, good. He says, not good, perfect. Perfect. And that's what the, you know, this wisdom is about. We cannot make decisions 
unless we know the truth and we know the facts and we agree to a basis of fact. So that's what this science march is about. It's not just about investment in science, as important as that is and as primary or focus of it, it should be. It's about stipulation to fact, to truth, to knowledge, to science, so that we're making decisions that are stipulation of fact and not opinion. And so we're at a place, we're at a place where we have an EPA, supposed to be Environmental Protection Agency. As the Congresswoman so brilliantly said, it should be called health and, and the rest. Maybe we can rename it in 28 weeks. But nonetheless, the, uh, right now, instead of Environmental Protection Agency, it is the Enabling Pollution Agency. You have corruption and conflict of interest, which is endangering the air our children breathe, the water they drink. I agree with the Congresswoman. Scott Pruitt must go. Scott Pruitt must go. They bury the facts. They warp the science. They're in denial. A Chinese hoax is climate challenge. So, well, we cannot stand by why this administration silences science. We cannot stand by. And may I just say this, in a because I want to associate myself with all of the remarks of Congresswoman Jayapal. In the interest of time, I won't reiterate some of that, those priorities, but except to salute her for her leadership in those regards. But I will also add that one of the most important things we can do to protect our children's health, the air they breathe, the water they drink, the food they eat, the prospects for the future, is to reduce the role of money in politics. The connection between the corruption and conflict of interest in this administration and their decisions and their appointments is very direct. There is a direct relationship between money and politics the big money that is being put in to protect the fossil fuel industry, the big money that is being put in to diminish uh, the uh, role of science in our good. Now let's talk about science in one other respect. It is a job creator. It is a job creator. Whatever you want to talk about, whether you want to talk about basic biomedical research, you, you have a scientist. But you also have a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician. You have jobs created throughout our economy. So whether it's about faith, if you believe, as do I, that this is God's creation, and some of the evangelicals join us in saying, because it is God's creation, we must be good stewards of it. We must be good stewards. But even if you do not share that religious belief, you all agree that we have a moral responsibility to our children to preserve the planet and pass it on in a better way, in a better way. So understanding our responsibilities, all of us, I just want to salute all of you for turning out. I want to recognize my former colleague, Rush Holt, who's now the head of the American Association 
for the advancement of science, who's participating in Washington, D.C. as we assemble here. When he was in Congress, he was a relentless champion for investments in scientific research. On the outside, now he's doing that. So inside and outside. Inside maneuvering, outside mobilization for science. God's gift to all of us. So let's just remember, if we had four things that we wanted to do to make the world a better place for our children, it would be, join me, science, 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 and science. Thank you, Seattle, for your commitment to science. Thank you. And thank you for sending Congresswoman Jayapal to the Congress of the United States. All right, thank you, Congresswoman Jayapal and Leader Pelosi. The march organizers would now like to take a moment to acknowledge that our nation's land was first owned by its first inhabitants, and many of these indigenous cultures were stripped of their land and the resources within it. This includes the land we stand on today. Zero Hour is a nationwide youth climate movement that was founded by our next speaker, Jamie Margolin. She's a high school sophomore and activist, and she is helping to organize Zero Hour's Youth Climate Lobby Day and March in Washington, D.C. on July 21st. She is not afraid to stand up for what she believes in, be it climate denial, the end of gun violence, or racism. Please welcome Jamie Margolin. Hola, ¿cómo están? <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Jamie Margolin, and I'm 16 years old. Hopefully, I have my whole life ahead of me. There's so much I want to do. I want to travel the world. I want to see Yellowstone, the Northern Lights, the Amazon rainforest, coral reefs, and all of the world's natural wonders. I want to earn enough money to help out my family in Colombia. I want to serve in political office so that someday I can be a leader who actually puts the people I'm serving before special interests. But I have to come to terms with the fact that all of this very well may not happen because I'm a 16-year-old girl growing up in the 21st century. I was born a few short months after 9-11. Not only has extensive airport security always been a reality for me, so is the fact that my world and all of its life systems are unraveling and falling apart. Climate change has loomed over every life decision, every time I try to plan for the future. There's never been a time in my life where the scientific consensus was not that humans are causing our own extinction. My life and that of my entire generation is full of ifs. I want to travel the world if the countries I want to visit are not ravaged by water wars and conflict over dwindling resources. I want to see the world's natural wonders if those natural wonders will still be around by the time I'm an adult. I want to earn enough money to help out my family in Colombia if they are still healthy in spite of all the fracking for natural gas and water contamination happening around their homes. I want to serve in political office if our democracy will still be intact because when climate caused natural disasters, food shortages, and epidemics ravage our country, tyrants could take advantage of the crisis situation and strip away our rights. My leaders are giving my generation an unlivable planet, but we aren't just gonna sit here and take it lying down. 
Enough is enough of the fossil fuel and animal agriculture industries controlling our politician and poisoning the future for all young people. <laughs> Students are standing up. I'm a community organizer. I started my activism career when I was 14. I'm a plaintiff on the youth versus government lawsuit suing the Washington state government over continuing to make climate change worse and denying my generation's rights to a livable climate. Last summer, I founded a youth organization called Zero Hour. We're called Zero Hour because this is Zero Hour to act on climate change. There is no more time to wait. We are students from across the country working with each other over the internet, like the Generation Z kids that we are, to organize the Youth Climate March and the Youth Climate Lobby Day this summer. On July 19th, youth will flood Capitol Hill to lobby our leaders for urgent climate action and demand that they stop taking money from fossil fuels. And don't throw away your signs, people, because on July 21st, mark your calendars, a few short days after we lobby, students will march for a livable future. Mark your calendars for the Youth Climate Action Weekend this summer and tell your friends. Okay, I have a little action for you. If you support the youth movement, I want you to get out your phones. That's right, a technology lesson from a teenager. Get out your phones and go to Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, whichever social media platform you use the most, or all of them, and type in at this is zero hour. No spaces, just this is zero hour. A logo with an orange earth should pop up, um, and I want you to like that and follow that. And when you get home, share and retweet and repost and spread the word that young people are not going to sit down and take this injustice. We've had enough, we're sick of it. There is no more time to pretend that we can solve climate change later. It should have been done 30 years ago. There is no more time to pretend that frontline communities like indigenous communities, low-income communities, and communities of color aren't already experiencing the effects of climate change because they are. Climate change is already here, and if you haven't felt the effects yet, you can thank your privilege, but it's here. This is zero hour to act on climate change. Are you with me? Are you with the youth? Are you ready to demand that it's zero hour to act? When I say what time is it, you say zero hour. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? Thank you, Seattle. Thank you, Jamie. I hope everyone here will do what they can to support Zero Hour on July 21st. Don't forget to like their social media accounts. Our next speaker is a marine ecologist with a PhD in biological oceanography from Scripps Institution of Oceanography and is a member of the Samish Indian Nation. Dr. Marco Hatch has created a wonderfully diverse lab at Western Washington University and has worked to prepare the next generation of environmental scientists and leaders through fostering respect for indigenous knowledge and providing scientists with a solid background in scientific methods. Please welcome Dr. Marco Hatch.
OCM Natalcha CM, Sinisnat, Marco Hatch. Good morning, dear friends and relatives. My name is Marco Hatch. I'm a member of the Samish Indian Nation and assistant professor at Western Washington University in environmental science. And thank you so much for spending your day with us today in March for Science 2018. Today I'm speaking on behalf of an organization dedicated to achieving true diversity in the STEM field called SACNIS. And joining me on stage are a few of the rising superstars in science from our Western Washington University SACNIS chapter. Please join me in giving them a round of applause. <laughs> SACNIS is leading the national movement to build a critical mass of STEM leaders from underrepresented communities our SACNIS community is 26,000 individuals strong, made up of students and scientists dedicated to creating a new STEM environment. A new STEM environment where minority students do not have to leave their cultures at the lab door. Rather, we believe that diverse scientists merge and integrate their diverse identities, creating a new science space that brings these cultures and ways of knowing together to help create a sustainable future for us all. In my lab at Western Washington University, a quick shout out to the Coastal Communities and Ecology Lab, we believe science, not silence. The voices of indigenous people, the original inhabitants and caretakers of this land, are often silenced in favor of those with advanced degrees in the scientific fields. Our system favors the voice of PhDs over individuals with multiple generations of first-hand experience of the environment. Rather than silencing this complete knowledge system, indigenous knowledge, we need to find ways to uphold multiple ways of knowing to create a more sustainable future for all people. I'd like to exemplify this by telling you a short story about respecting multiple ways of knowing. This story originates from Chief Dan George um, and is referred to as the one canoe, two trees story. Long ago when a family needed a new canoe, they would meet with our community carver and they would discuss the purpose of that canoe. Was it for short trips or long trips? Was it to visit friends and family? Was it to move through the islands? And after learning what they needed, the carver would go into the woods and look for the perfect cedar tree. Once he found that cedar tree, he wouldn't simply cut it down. Through a, a process, he would um, ask the tree for permission, he would talk to the tree, and he, would, and he would pray. This might take multiple days, and during that time, he would tell the tree about the family and how, how uh, as a canoe, it would help provide for them and help um, them visit their family. And if the tree agreed, it would cut, be cut down and have a new life as a canoe. But today, we no longer have those big cedar trees that we can build one canoe from. Today, to build a canoe, we need to use two cedar trees. And when making a canoe from two trees, it's important that they meld together. It's important that they don't give up their identity as separate trees, but they see each other as equals, that one tree doesn't think it's better than the other tree, that one tree doesn't think that its way of doing things is the only way to do things. If one tree holds that value, if one tree thinks it's better than the other, it'll cause tension in the canoe. 
and tension causes cracks, which will eventually lead that canoe to fall apart and all of the inhabitants, everybody in that canoe, will sink. You could think of that canoe as the Salish Sea, and you could think of all of us as the passengers in the Salish Sea. That if we want, um, that we can think of these two trees as the balance between Western and indigenous science, that we need to have an equitable relationship, that indigenous science holds thousands of years worth of intergenerational knowledge and has a sophisticated system to protect that knowledge, build that knowledge, um, and, and uh, maintain that knowledge. And for our own survival, we need to bring together Western science and indigenous science in a respectful way. That if we want to continue to explore and enjoy the Salish Sea together, uh, we need to make sure that our canoe stays together. So today, I'm marching for a more inclusive STEM community that acknowledges all communities and their knowledge. Heishka. Let's hear it for Dr. Hatch. Next, we have proof that anyone can work to make a positive difference, no matter their age. These young women have an important problem they want to bring to your attention. Geneva Bettinell learned about the issue of plastic straws when her older brother started studying plastic pollution in the ocean. Geneva and her friends petitioned their city council in Redmond and Shoreline to ban plastic straws. The city councils considered the ban but decided not to go ahead with it just yet. To encourage them to pay more attention to the issue, she went to their weekly council meeting to challenge the members to personally give up using plastic straws for the month of April. To make an even bigger challenge, she wants everyone to join in. Please welcome to the stage Geneva Bettinell, Megan O'Reilly, Becky Hinckley, Kaylee Peterson, and Eleanor Vallis. Until it gets into everything. 
everything. Some businesses that already use plant-based straws are Whole Foods, Taco Time, Pogliaccio Pizza, and homegrown restaurants. Tell restaurants like Starbucks about corn straws, compulsive straws made out of corn. Other types of compulsive straws so that they can use those instead of plastic ones. Not only there are corn straws, but there are other biodegradable options as well as steel straws, bamboo straws, or you can choose no straw at all. Unless we make real changes, then by the year 2050, United Nations Environment Program predicts that there will be more plastic in the oceans than there are fish. Tell more people about this movement. If you have pen pals from around the United States or around the world, ask them to join you. Talk to your school or work cafeteria to get them to use different kinds of straws. U.S. children and other children will be around much longer than today's adults and would like to see a beautiful world, even more beautiful than it is today. That is why we want to ban plastic straws. Plastic straws are killing animals. If this keeps happening, everything will die. We challenge you to not use plastic straws for one month. Raise your hand if you accept our challenge. You say thank you. You say thank you. Thank you. as those citizens, our world would be a much better place. Let's give it up for them one more time. But not every child has the opportunity, the support, and the role models to encourage them to follow their hearts. Our next speaker is working to change that for girls in computer science. Adriana Germano is a third-year PhD student in social psychology at the University of Washington. A major aim of her research is to reduce social group inequality using data-driven psychological interventions. She now works to increase the inclusion of women in STEM and investigate the effectiveness of popular diversity initiatives used by schools and other organizations. She hopes that her research will encourage young students with non-traditional and underrepresented backgrounds to see that they too can have careers in science. Please welcome Adriana Germano. Okay, so I never grew up thinking that I was going to be a scientist. I dreamt of being an FBI agent solving mysteries like Dana Scully in the X-Files or, or of an English teacher like my mom. And even when I got good grades in science classes or when I won the fifth grade science fair, I still didn't imagine being a scientist. And the truth is that this experience is not uncommon for most girls. Women are heavily underrepresented in the field of science. In computer science, women represent just 18% of all computer science degrees earned in our nation. As a scientist, I find these numbers troubling. When women's voices aren't included in scientific discussions, we all lose. For years, heart disease research was conducted just with men, leading to an underdiagnosis of heart disease in women. 
In tech, the absence of women of color led to facial recognition software that couldn't recognize black men and women's faces. Big problems like these point to areas in science where women can strengthen and enrich scientific fields just by their inclusion. Part of my job as a social psychologist is to uncover the social and psychological factors that contribute to why women are left out of science. In research conducted with my advisor, Safna Cherian, we've investigated how feelings of belonging or fitting in can influence whether women enter computer science. Our lab has found that feeling like you belong is key for women's success in science. Research from our lab shows that how a computer science classroom even looks can influence women's interest in feeling and belonging in the field. In a study, we switched out items in a classroom to make it both inviting for women and men. So we changed Star Trek posters for nature posters, and we changed energy drinks for water bottles. And we found that making these small changes and easy changes to classrooms increased women's interest in computer science, all because they felt like that classroom looked like a place that they could belong. Our lab has also done work to understand how belonging influences which computer science classes women sign up for, and how belonging can influence what sort of awards even women apply for. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about, though, is how our computer science interventions can possibly change this. In these interventions, we hope to target the barriers facing women in computer science. We've observed that even when women perform well in computer science classes, they're not continuing on to major in computer science. And so we think that belonging might be one of these reasons why. So using data-driven methods, we're currently developing new interventions to increase women's belonging in computer science classes. And a goal of these interventions is to highlight that making small changes to computer science can have a large impact for women. Because what's good for women and what's good for computer science shouldn't be thought of as two separate goals. They're the same. <laughs> and I think that this message is really central to why we're all here today. It's important that we continue to fund research on diversity and inclusion not just for the advancement of underrepresented groups, but for the advancement of the field of science. And I feel especially lucky to be researching these issues at the University of Washington, where research on diversity and inclusion is thriving. And without public funding, we wouldn't be able to investigate these issues to create real social change. And I'd like to end where I began, that while I didn't grow up with the dream of being a scientist, I'd like my research to change this for young people today. Everyone should get to have the dream of being a scientist. Thank you. Everybody say hi to my baby. Most importantly, say thank you to Adriana for working to improve science by finding practical and effective ways to bring underrepresented voices into STEM. Our next speaker brings a strong understanding of how critical it is when looking for solutions to environmental dilemmas that confront us to embrace, respect, and apply the deep and long-standing relationships that indigenous peoples have with the environment. TJ Green is a former chairman and chief of police of the Macaw tribe and is currently trustee for the Washington State chapter of the Nature Conservancy. Please welcome TJ. All right, good morning, Seattle. It's great to be here. 
on this beautiful Pacific Northwest spring day. Hey, I want to give a uh, I want to give a shout out. I just seen this when I when I got here. This is pretty awesome for me personally. But standing in the back, we have the Alliance and the Empire and a freelance bounty hunter all standing together as one in the back. And that goes right along with the message I'll be delivering today. So we're here for the March for Science uh, 2018. And uh, I have a couple things I want to do before I get into the heart of the message that I want to deliver today. And, and uh, the first one is, is I want to say a prayer in my traditional tongue. And, and I'm going to do that for you right now, OK? You don't need to do anything special. Just open your hearts and listen. And the words of this prayer, what they talk about is leading us down the righteous path together as one, that we be of the same mind and of the same spirit. I'll do that for you now. Thank you for that. The next thing I want to share is uh, it's from the poetry works of William Wordsworth. And it's just an excerpt from The Tables Are Turned. And what it says is, come forth into the light of things and let nature be your teacher. And so uh, once again, my name is TJ Green. I'm the former chairman for the Macaw Tribe and currently a trustee for the Nature Conservancy. And today we are together for science. We must stand as one and support the continued understanding of our natural world and our impacts to the environment through research, analysis, and reporting. We must acknowledge the significance of science-based discoveries on our lives, and that's been talked about a lot today, and I fully agree with that. We must also recognize silence voices, which lends to why I stand before, before you today. It's time to converge science with indigenous knowledge. Indigenous knowledge, or as some call it, traditional ecological knowledge, complements science and vice versa. They can be one and the same. It's critical to develop this partnership, and in doing so, we can advance policy based on facts, research, knowledge transferred through centuries. Thank you. So I just want to pause right here. I want everyone, let's just take a moment. Look at the world around you. You know, take a look. You got, we're surrounded by a little bit of trees here in the middle of the city. Okay, everybody, it's, it's not raining right now, so just, just take a look up. Take a deep breath. Let it out. You know, we're all on this big blue rock, surrounded by gas, and it's tumbling through space. And contained within it, is this life-giving climate that we should all hold so dear. And that climate affects everything. It impacts our economy. It impacts our food source, air, land, water. Nothing is untouched by that climate. And our actions impact the climate. The cities we build, the transportation we use, and the technology we create all affect our climate. Indigenous knowledge has long taught that all things are connected. Confirming these connections through science can lead to lasting, strong policy that ensures a healthy climate for the future.
Case in point, I'd like to share just a couple stories where we're in the Pacific Northwest where most of us are from here, I, I gather today, and a lot of us grew up here. Well, 50 years ago, the knowledge of our traditional leaders, we were fighting for salmon, not just treaty rights, we were fighting for salmon, for the habitat of that salmon, and only now are we getting around to realize that in, in the mainstream world today. You know, these cities that we built, you know, you look, look through Seattle, the number of cranes that are, that are all over throughout that city. And, and that's daunting, but it's also a big opportunity for us to get involved, to do things better than last time. I know a lot of that has taken place as we're designing better buildings. We're trying to design cities that act more like nature and take care of the problems that we have created for ourselves. And so we need to do more of it. We're doing some. We need to be energized, and we need to get more of that done. And one of the other things I wanted to share, you know, for us coastal tribes off the state halibut is a, is a big resource to us. And 100 years ago, just the Macaw tribe by itself would harvest out of a canoe over a million pounds of halibut in one season. Today, you know, we're sharing three to 400,000 pounds of halibut amongst 13 tribes. That's what's happened to our resource. That type of development, that type of, of use has to stop. And science can play a big role in making that happen when it's converged with the indigenous knowledge of our ancestors. <laughs> science also promotes innovation. Take a look around. Look at the people next to you. Get to know them. Gathered here today are some of the most inspired, creative, intelligent, driven people anywhere. And each of you are important. People are important. Our creative approaches to solve problems creates opportunity to develop climate-healthy processes to live out our daily lives. We must stand up for science locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, and continue to educate our children on the wonders of science and incorporate the sacred teachings of indigenous knowledge into our daily lives. So now I say to all, come forth into the light of things. Let nature be your teacher. The lands and waters upon which all life depends is counting on us. Let's get it done. God bless Seattle. Have a great day. Thank you. TJ for all you're doing to build bridges between scientists and the communities around them. Speaking of building bridges, we know that there are many people who feel excluded by the scientific community and that their voices aren't being heard. You may encounter some of these people protesting as you march today. Please take this opportunity to open your heart and your mind to your neighbor and engage in respectful dialogue with them. Science teaches us to always look twice, re-examine your opinions, and remember that tomorrow, someone can always prove you wrong. So be kind to one another. Yeah, thank you. Give it up for kindness. <laughs> Examining and improving how people and communities interact with science is also important to our next speaker. Nick Montoni is a fourth year PhD student in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Washington and the founder of Out in STEM at UW. Besides researching theoretical descriptions of light-matter interactions at the nanometer scale and photonic materials, Nick is an advocate for underrepresented students in STEM, a passionate science outreach coordinator, 
and an aspiring policy advisor. Please welcome Nick. Good morning, everybody. I uh, actually wanted to start out by thanking the organizers for putting this together and for centering Science of Silenced Voices today. And I also really wanted to give out a huge thank you to the current president of OSTEM who actually nominated me to give this speech. I really appreciate them and honestly wish they could be up here giving this speech instead, but you've got me instead. So as we've all learned, the theme of this year's March for Science Seattle is Science's Silenced Voices. I thought a lot about what that means and not just in preparation for this speech. What should I talk about? What can I contribute to this discussion? How have I been silenced, and how have I silenced others? While I'm not going to talk specifically about my own experiences today, I encourage everyone here to be thinking about those questions during the march. I thought at first I might just go into a history of science and how it's been used not only for great progress, but also for great evil. I thought I might bring up the ways in which science has been twisted and warped by those in power to oppress minority groups. These discussions are traumatic, and scientific evidence even suggests that ancestral trauma expresses itself in our genes. So I won't be talking about that either, but if you'd like to know more, please come find me later. I know many people will disagree with me when I say science has been used for both good and evil. They'll reply, but science is objective and unbiased. Of course, they're right. Science itself is objective and unbiased. I mean, it's inanimate. It's a way of interacting with the world. It can't really have opinions. However, people are not unbiased, and it is people that drive scientific culture, progress, and applications. Here's a thought experiment. Should a room full of biologists write a physics textbook? Should a room full of mathematicians write an art history textbook? Can you imagine that? It's trivial to see that this is a painting. Yikes. This is, the kind, this is a kind of exaggerated analogy, but, there's, but the main idea is that if a group of people all come from exactly one background, it's likely that their biases will be strengthened and begin to permeate the field they're working in. The mathematicians, writing this art history textbook, will dominate the field until they and everyone else believe that you need a PhD in mathematics to study art. That's pretty unacceptable, right? Why should there only be one kind of art historian? or one kind of physicist. Well, this applies to identity as well. STEM is, to this day, dominated by a certain well-represented demographic, while all other demographics are more or less underrepresented or not represented at all. And it's been that way for such a long time that the implicit bias that a scientist looks a certain way and comes from a certain background has permeated the culture of STEM and even popular culture. See also popular television program, The Big Bang Theory. Someone may want to tell me to stop promoting identity politics and focus just on supporting science. First of all, all politics is identity politics because everyone has an identity. Oh, yeah. uh, second of all, you know who wanted to bring identity politics into science? To quote Albert Einstein, if my theory of relativity is proven successful, Germany will claim me as a German and France will declare me a citizen of the world. Should my theory prove untrue, France will say that I am a German and Germany will declare that I am a Jew. What would be the state of science had, heaven forbid, 
the Nazis succeeded in their quest to eradicate the Jewish people and oppress and imprison many, many others. I don't know, and I don't want to know. But this is why we must talk about identity politics as it pertains to science. It's too important not to. When we silence entire groups of people, what discoveries do we miss? There has never been a time to not engage in politics. It's not that I think scientists should choose sides in controversial political debates or publicize their voting records. It's that science has been made political regardless of what scientists think or do. People in local, national, and international positions of power are suggesting that science, climate change, and intellectualism exist as liberal conspiracies. If you don't think we need to politicize science, if you think we don't need to dismantle systems of oppression, if you don't think it is precisely the job of scientists to promote equity, I leave you with this. The same systems that put profit over science also put profit over people. Denying climate change does not only harm scientists, but it harms communities who will soon be underwater if nothing is done. Communities that are primarily poor and of color. Take, for example, the Keystone and Dakota Access Pipelines. These projects directly undermine the push to move towards clean energy and reduce pollution. But equally importantly, they infringe upon the sovereignty and dignity of Sioux land and directly threaten their water and air. If there's anything I want a scientist to learn today, it's that by fighting for social justice, you can fight for science as well. In a 2004 PNAS paper, Lu Hong and Scott Page showed that groups of diverse problem solvers can outperform homogeneous groups of high ability problem solvers. This paper defines diversity in terms of functionality. Those with different backgrounds tend to have different skills and expertise. In this sense, diversity makes us stronger. Another way we can see how diversity makes us stronger is by looking at new fields of research being pioneered by and for formerly silenced populations. Take, for example, Aging with Pride, a study led by UW's Karen Fredrickson Goldson. Aging with Pride is the first study to quantitatively and qualitatively assess the quality of life of aging LGBTQ people. Had Fredrickson Goldson not found a place in science, this research would never exist. Diversity, inclusion, and representation make us stronger. It is the job of scientists to lift up and amplify silenced voices because it will make science better and more accessible to more groups of people. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Nick. Amplifying silenced voices is something our next speaker also knows a fair bit about. As executive director for the nonprofit Washington Women for Climate Action Now, Sherry Cornell is committed to implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion for women in Washington State. As a law student, she concentrated on environmental and resource management, writing a law review article on hydropower dams and the Clean Water Act. As a lawyer, Cornell litigated large Superfund cases. As a mom, she strongly believes that introducing sustainability at home and in our communities is the surest way to make our kids into good environmental stewards. Please welcome Sherry. Thank you. Okay, we're almost done here. You guys need to shake it up. I'm giving you five seconds to scream and jump up and down. Now, go. Awesome, good job. Okay, I'm starting out with the footnote. Here's my footnote. I am a woman. 
and I'm a cisgendered woman, and I'm white. I understand my experience as a woman in that framework. But when I talk about women, I am all inclusive. I mean women of every race. I mean women spelled with an A, E, I, O, U, Y, or X. I mean women identified. So here we go. Some of my statistics may not be all inclusive. We're not there yet, but they still mean a lot. Again, I'm Sherry Cornell. I'm with Washington Women for Climate Action Now. As advocates for smart climate policy, we depend on and embrace science and the scientific method and scientists every day. As women, we understand the importance of scientists, science and the scientific method better than, well, I don't wanna embarrass anybody, but I'm just saying, Okay, let me put it this way. A lot more women than men understand the importance of science and scientists in our everyday lives. Statistic number one, substantially more women than men believe scientific consensus that climate change is happening now, 59 to 54%. Statistic two, substantially more women than men believe the scientific consensus that climate change is primarily caused by human activities. Women seem to understand from experience and statistical evidence that climate change impacts women more than men around the world and here in Washington. Here's a few examples. Climate change disproportionately impacts the poor and women head up the vast majority of low-income households. Statistic four, women are 14 times more likely than men to die during a natural disaster or extreme weather event, like raging forest fires or large-scale flooding. Statistic five, domestic violence skyrockets during extreme weather events. Statistic six, substantially more women than men believe climate change will threaten their way of life during their lifetime. And here's the third link between women, science, and climate action. Women have superpowers when it comes to making real climate action happen. Women vote in much higher numbers than men. Women make 80% of consumer choices, many with climate-friendly alternatives. And women believe there are workable technological and public policy solutions to the climate crisis. Finally, Washington Women Can exists to empower diverse women from across Washington State, all of them smart and powerful, many of whom are STEM professionals themselves. We empower them to lead on public policy throughout the state public policy that is rooted in the best science available. So here's an obvious question. Doesn't it make sense for those same women, women who understand the value of science, care deeply about the human impacts of changes to our natural world, and have superpowers, shouldn't they be richly represented in the science and technology professions? Good job. Well, of course they should, but they're not. We must do much more to ensure that women of every race are encouraged to enter and excel in the sciences. Across the world, women account for less than one third of those employed in scientific research and development. 
For women of color, the statistics are worse. In the US, Asian and black women and Latinas make up slightly less than 10% of the working scientists and engineers. While there is much that we can do to encourage girls and women to enter the sciences, we must ensure major attitude changes. My daughter Corinne is a computer science major at Northwestern outside of Chicago. She's good, she's really good. And as she progresses, she finds herself increasingly one of very few or even the only woman in a class. For a long time, the boys in the class were repeatedly shocked that she would come up with the answer first and ask her how she guessed it. Then when she showed her work to them and annotated it, showing that she really did understand, they would grab the paper and then explain it to her as if she hadn't done the work in the first place. So women of color in STEM professions have it even worse. Both Latina and black women scientists report regularly being mistaken as janitors in the laboratory. Latina scientists report having a harder time getting administrative personnel to do work for them. And were expected to do more administrative work themselves by colleagues, such as filling out the forms and organizing meetings. It goes on and on, but there's good news. There has to be good news, right? And here it is. The women and men in this crowd, all of you, and around the world will make sure that the best science retains its rightful place at the center of good public policy. And the women and men in this crowd and around the world will make sure that our girls, our daughters, our women of all races will have equal and equitable access to science education and the STEM professions. As my final hurrah here, let me tell you where women are feeling at least a little bit of the science equity dream right here in Washington. The University of Washington is the home of the Climate Impacts Group. The Climate Impacts Group is made up of 11 renowned scientists and researchers who work together to help policymakers understand the best climate science and how public policy decisions are linked to that science. Of those 11 scientists, Six are women. And the group is directed by a woman. So I don't know about you, but I feel really good knowing that our daughters and our sons can see themselves and their futures in the UW scientists working on the most urgent scientific and public policy issue of our time. So get out there, March for Science, Seattle. March for Science, March for Scientists, of all genders and all races, our lives depend upon it. Everyone, please join me in thanking Sherry Cornell and all our wonderful speakers today. Yeah, all right. Before we finish up here, we wanna give a few businesses a huge shout out for being so patient and supportive of the March for Science and the many, many other marches, even though their business goes down while all these people are blocking their doors. Please make sure to patronize these wonderful businesses and thank them for their support. Flick, Sugar Pill, Odd Fellows, Rancho Bravo, Molly Moons, the Elliott Bay Book Company, and many more that you will see on your way to the Seattle Center. Finally, we want to acknowledge and thank all our amazing musicians here with us today who are giving freely of their time to entertain and energize us as we march. Thank you to everyone for coming out and standing up for science. Are you ready to march? <laughs> <laughs>